Hello and welcome to a, uh, a brand new episode of what we're listening to. My name is Josh. I'm one of your hosts. And with me is the one and only bard from the court of the Crimson King, Asher himself. How are you doing, mate? I have only listened to the start of it because of my delve into 70s prog. Mm. Um, I, you know, I didn't even know the name of that album. I knew the art very well. Yeah, the face I, is quite striking. Oh, my goodness. I think it was, um, uh, what's the band name again? It's Court of, uh, Crimson King is the name of the band. Crimson, yeah. There was a spam version of that album cover made as like a bento <laughs> box that I saw recently <laughs> with some pun. It's almost worse. It. Yeah, I know. It was terrifying. So anyway, <laughs> yes, um, I am a bard in the court of the Crimson King, whatever that means. I don't even know anything about the album, so mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm admitting to. <laughs> well, it's, yes, we are talking um, about a famous prog rock album today. Um, mm. And so our quiz revolves around this said dark side of the moon. Um, mm-hmm. So um, rather famously, Asher, um, yes, this uh, album um, has been known to sync up with a film. Um, oh. So I have a multiple choice quiz for you. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll even give you some more details. So does the dark side of the moon sync up with a... Monty Python's and the Holy Grail. Um, if you if you start it after the first discussion about coconuts, um, mm. B Alice in Wonderland after she falls down the rabbit hole, um, C Wizard of Oz when the film turns into color and she lands in the new place, or D two thousand and one A Space Odyssey after the bone turns into a spaceship. Uh. I feel like I've heard this fact somewhere. It's, it's a pretty famous fact. I'll, I'll give you that. But I, I know so little about this band and this <laughs> album that I, yeah, you've really stumped me. Um, I feel like I'm going to take a punt at um, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Ooh, good choice. Unfortunately, it is The Wizard of Oz. Okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah, when you a- say sync up, what do you mean? So you start the record as the film turns into color um, and it kind of um, different beats that happen during the album um, link up with different like scene changes and important motifs that happen during the film. Um, Interesting. And one of the kind of the ways this expands is obviously the famous cover of the album has the light prism on it changing Mm. into color. And so people are like, oh, there's some kind of like secret theory to do and the band's like no that's 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 stupid don't talk about that uh but people people like that idea um people will still talk about yeah. It. yeah so there's been lots of attempts to actually sync this album up to other films as well um there's a pretty infamous yeah. one in the 2000s with somebody putting it to paul blart mall cop 2 <laughs> and it like working pretty well <laughs> oh man anyways just on on films and music, I must confess, I want to include this. Have you seen that? There was a trend a few weeks ago on Twitter. It was like, if The Godfather was made in oh, 2007. Yeah. That was really hot for a day. My goodness. I know, right? It was just like everyone was doing it. And um, I kind of liked it. It made me giggle. 
because of the like very iconic sound of, yeah. you know, like the Matrix, the way the credits roll and it's like Rage Against the Machine kind of thing. <laughs> it was very, it was very of that era, you know, a bit of like was, trench coats and break core and stuff. It was mostly like Linkin Park, I think, the ones that I heard at least. It was like a Linkin Park. Oh, song. yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like in the end or something oh like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that just made me think of of this yeah. kind of syncing up music with films that aren't supposed to be synced. But yeah, the uh, ironically, yeah. the 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 reason I also chose Monty Python is that um, the proceeds that were made by this record are partially responsible for that film existing because the band put so much money into uh, the group making their first movie. <laughs> they what? Oh, um, right. So Pink Floyd donated to Monty Python when they made Holy Grail. Yes. Obviously, nobody's oh. going to give money to Monty Python to make a film, like a production company. <laughs> and so their first movie is mostly rock stars. It's like Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, and George Harrison are like the bankrollers for this film coming out. Oh, my goodness. This weird movie. Monty, I haven't seen the Holy Grail in many years, but it is the only one that I've really seen of Monty yeah. Python's. It's, I mean, it's quite iconic. Um, yeah. All right. Before we get more sidetracked, um, <laughs> I failed that quiz. Did you have any follow-up? Um, only really that I've been listening a lot m- even more to that Jacob Wilde EP. Um, oh, cool. It's just kind of hanging around, and I I really enjoy it. Um, hmm. I guess I should be motivated to explore his album again a little bit more, but I've been really loving the EP to go through as well. Yeah, I have found on re-listening to his album that I do prefer his EPs mm. and I've, I just, yeah, I just like these shorter kind of concepts. The album has some beautiful songs on it, don't get me wrong, and I, I own it and I love it, but it's it's not as strong in my mind or not my favourite as compared to some of his little EPs, so. Sure. Yeah. Um, a shout out to him. Jacob Wilde's currently on tour at the moment with another artist, um, another Aussie artist who's touring the East Coast and he plays electric guitar as well and he's an excellent guitarist and so it doesn't surprise me that he's doing parts in other bands as well. So, you know, shout out to him and his other creative projects. Mm. I'll put a link in the show notes to that as well. I haven't listened to them yet, but um, yeah, I'm keen to check out of anything he puts his hand to. So, yeah. For sure. Do you have any other catch up? Uh, uh, run one random thing. Um, mm. I was chatting with John Ringhofer about, um, Flutterama and I did want to set one thing straight. Um, I think I said that there were no synths used on Flutterama and he was like, oh, there were a couple used on handles. Like, so <laughs> most of it is meti- he was like, don't, you don't need to mention it. I'm like, but I want to actually be correct about music. So <laughs> sorry, John. Um, it, yeah, he's used mostly tape manipulation, but there are elements in tracks like handles where he has used various, um, kind of synthesizers. So, you know, again, check out this album. If you haven't already check out my chat with John, um, he's written extensive notes about the album too on the Asthmatic Kitty website. And yeah, it's a, I, I got, I don't know if I mentioned, but I got the pack, all the vinyl and tape and stuff. And it's brilliant. So if there is still um, some vinyl left, go and grab one. He recently posted on Instagram, 
you know, the tote bag that you get with it can hold your favorite records. And he posted on Instagram, like a whole bunch of his favorite albums <laughs> that he could carry in his tote bag. And I thought that was nice. So I'll put a link to that too. Mm. Well, that's a weight off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, it's really funny. I remember when I first started listening to podcasts, one of the first ones I listened to was a Hello Internet episode. And I think the t- title of the episode was being uh, on being wrong on the internet. And <laughs> yeah. I think I mentioned it before that more and more I've just had to be comfortable with being wrong and saying things incorrectly. Yes. Um, and, you know, in hindsight going, oh, yeah, i got to do our research a bit on that. Like, um, you know, who is Michelle Yeoh? Blah, 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 blah. Nah, just say with confidence and you'll be fine. Sure. It's like jazz. All right. Exactly. Shall we move on to our reviews? Sure. Speaking of jazz, yeah, let's do it. So um, to follow on from another, in, uh, my intense review last week, uh, <laughs> chat pile, this is, I suppose, a different kind of intensity. Um I finally started listening to Black Midi. Now, I think, Josh, you mentioned them to me back when we were talking about Squid and Black Country New, New Road. Is this yeah. correct, you reckon? They get, they get thrown around as part of the same kind of upcoming conglomerate that those bands occupy. Yeah, yeah. And they really, I mean, so some would probably not agree with that, but they are from the UK. They have... <clears throat> they have... um kind of the same, I suppose, eclectic instrumentation of yeah. the two, the, the, the three, sorry. They've also played a lot of gigs together as as bands. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. That's yeah. cool. Um, and I'm glad I kind of saved them for now because they are very intense um, and probably the zaniest of the three, in my <laughs> opinion. Like Black Country New Road are probably the most accessible with their songs feeling a little bit more kind of traditional in but that sounds silly um squid then go a next level of like kind of very all over the place and then black midi are like the genre describes right full of sound and um well i I don't know if it's a genre but black midi music you know what i mean where you cover the stave and yes kind of thing yeah yeah um so i've been listening to hellfire which is their latest album and um, yeah, I was recommended this one to start with, or that just that someone had been listening to this. I have been going back and listening to some of their olders, but um, I was really impressed with this album. It's um, it's so interesting. I'm not sure, like, I'm a super fan of every song, <laughs> but the blend of jazz and kind of like very. What would you? How would you describe this, Josh? Oh, what kind yeah. of genre is this i would i would call it obtuse art prog is what i would call it (laughs) yeah there is there is elements of prog in there there's like very it's very virtuosic music too like in a way that black country new new road and squid aren't yeah um i feel like the lead singer of black midi is a very good guitarist and how he sings or speaks or you know raps as it is on top of his intonates yeah on top of his guitar runs i will never know i i tried watching no i did watch i didn't i did get through <laughs> them, um some live clips and you know just watching him kind of um basically it's like he's um con- uh commentating on some sort of horse race he's so fast yeah. the whole time whilst doing these like tricky 
guitar parts, like barely any chords. There's some chords, but it's like all riffs and runs and stuff. I, I guess the, the prog element I would consider is more like the kind of um, more obscure, like math, kind of math yeah. rock element where things are yeah. like really precise and together. Um, yes. Without, without being melodical, let's put it in that way. You can hear that on the second track of this album, which is the um, Taz, uh, what's it called? Uh, Zoo, Sugar Zoo, which um, kind of starts off with this soft jazz, but then goes into like... Yeah, so I haven't really given a very good in to this, but this album is kind of like conceptually about hell or someone someone dying and going to hell i'm not really sure like it contains some pretty intense themes Mm. again so just warning on that um maybe less brutal than chat pile but you know (laughs) still intense um and it starts off it's really hard to separate the lyrics and the sound the the opening track is probably my favorite on the album um it's uh called what is it hellfire and it's kind of like a very yeah, it's very nihilistic. It's kind of like there's always something that's going wrong kind of thing. And it's a very short track. It's like a minute and uh, a minute 24. Mm. And he packs into it like basically, you know, <laughs> what I feel like post-modernity is, you know, just very like <laughs> very disappointed in most things, you know, just like there's always sickness. There's always another thing, you know, everything's going, 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 blah, 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 blah. And the music is like discordant and all over the place. And it really sets the tone for the album, which makes it also really cool when track two suddenly drops to this soft lounge jazz. It's, um, it's very well composed all the way through. And yeah, I think it's a big arc. It's a fantastic feast of sound. Like I couldn't quite get over how each track was just so complex and full of <laughs> full of flavor kind of thing so did you get all the way through by the way uh no i I gave it a couple tries um yeah it's not particularly my jam i'll say that yeah that's cool um the 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 drumming is especially fierce i don't know (laughs) how this dude keeps it together um but he does a terrific job um there's songs like john l which is not on this and oh man, listen to the latter part of that song because every like the drums are deliberately like snarky puppy esque, going off beat, like just just a tiny bit, like messing around with the time. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Um. So, uh. I think it's Milton. Um. John Milton. Um. Calls part of hell pandemonium, and mm. that's kind of the the word that came to my head when i listened to this of like the um the chaotic disturbing nature that hell can have on people and that theme Mm. um definitely stuck out to me even from the artwork which is like this kind of off-putting pink and black sludge um and all of their artwork is like that it's very it's almost ai art um but i don't think it is I yeah. think it's I think it's actually, you know, done by someone intentionally. It's not just auto-generated as far as I know. Sure. Um yeah. But 
Something interesting to me, in terms of sound, I keep getting wafts of Scott Walker um, okay. with his vocal. When he actually starts singing and not just kind of fast speaking, I really hear a lot of the dramatic airs of Scott Walker on his his earlier albums before it goes particularly avant-garde, like Scott 3, Scott 4 sort of thing. Yeah, okay. Um, also, a bit of like Cat Empire feels like we're moving into Scar territory sometimes. <laughs> Man, like I don't on, um <laughs> Eat Men Eat. I've I've been to a number of Cat Empire uh, uh, shows, and I don't remember them going in this direction. <laughs> <laughs> occasionally, just not not all the time, just occasionally. Yeah, that weird um, prog jam that they want. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's really it always interests me. Um, you know, this band has said, like, we, we're not, I don't know if they're actually talking about hell because they're not, they're just saying, like, we don't kind of endorse it as a concept, but, like, evidently it's just a thing that's come up in the way they write and I'm not quite sure how they're using it as a vehicle to talk about other things. Yeah. Um, but I've heard that, um, you know, the lead singer described, like, kind of every character in this is despicable sort of thing. And there are some like sad characters who are justifying some pretty um, horrendous things and trying to be like, no, this is fine. And um, and but I think that the they seem to be using this concept as a way of asking lots of questions, especially the last track, 27 Questions, is a very interesting closer, like um, really in like a way of getting off his chest all sorts of like questions he has about life and existence and the fact it's written in such an existential way as well with the music kind of matches it, if you know what I mean. Mm. So anyway, I, I'm not quite, I don't have any big theories. I don't have an essay on this. I just found it interesting <laughs> and I really liked it. I, I thought it was a good album and I, I'm keen to check out more of their work. Um, check out, if you haven't listened to BMBM, um, uh, that's a very interesting track. Okay. <laughs> it has about three lyrics. And um, and chaos basically. <laughs> BM 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 yeah, and also John L. I was listening to that track because it was one of the live ones, and I yeah really enjoyed listening to the studio version too. But I think if I was to look at the three bands that are part of this group, I think I'm more in the Squid camp. I like where they land. It's like a bit more funky, a bit less mayhem. Yeah. But this has been really interesting to listen to. I'm always surprised about how popular Black Mini are when people talk about them. So I feel yeah. like this kind of like, I don't know, intense alternate jazz isn't super <laughs> easy to go through, but I don't know. Maybe people no, are better. No, it's not easy at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I never under, quite understand like the really hardcore sort of um, fan base that these bands have but they do okay. it's like people who love Mersbo and really get into that and <laughs> you know um anyway that's a really i think my review was in the vein of black midi so enjoy <laughs> out of go. order and chaos. nonsensical <laughs> chaos now i need to say before you talk about yours that i haven't had the chance to listen to it sure so, I will enjoy your view and I will have a listen later. I'm sorry. That's all right. It's uh, very much on the opposite scale of um, storytelling and music making. I'll say that much. Um, yeah. So I I've been having a bit of trouble finding 
um, an album that really kind of caught my attention um, in the last couple of weeks of like new releases. There've been some kind of interesting ones, but nothing really, mm. you know, took me by the hand. Um, so I went back through some of my old wish list stuff. And um, so I've been listening to a album by the mountain goats, um, an American kind of folk outfit, um, exceedingly, uh, exceedingly prolific in the amount of records they've released. I think this is the sixth record that they released a long time ago, mm. um, called All Hail West Texas. Um, and this is kind of often uplifted as one of their most popular, um, or most well loved albums. Um, it's part of a series of the lead singer on his own. Um, writing and recording into his like portable boombox. Um, mm. So in terms of like song composition and like recording quality, it's pretty scratchy. You can hear like the like mic feedback and the t- the tape in the background and that kind of stuff. Um, it sounded really interesting when you described it to me. Yeah, um, and I'm keen to listen to it because I like that grainy, you know, like um. Um, Harrison Lenke kind of yeah thing. for sure and we we kind of throw around like Dylan-esque a lot and I think this is um much more like early kind of um sorry I should say so th- so this album is hmm. um basically a series of vignettes stories about different people in like middle America um hmm. and they're like one to two minutes long um and they're all just kind of little capsules of life. And um they're they're quite interesting. I, I know this isn't like kind of my regular thing. Um but I was I thought I'd give it a go. So they're rather melancholy, these songs. Um probably the most famous one is the first song, um, the best death metal band out of Denton, which is about like two kids who are teenagers. And they have these like dreams of being like famous death metal musicians. And then they're like parents get a, get a hold of what they're doing and like send them to like military school and tell them to like (laughs) stop ever playing music again. And, um, and that's kind of the end of the song. Like these kids are like put in this place where their lives fall apart and that's kind of it. Um, that's rough. Sorry, yeah. I was laughing at the start. That sounds that sounds bad. Well, it, it's, it's kind of the songs kind of revolve around that. Like, you know, um, a hmm. famous high school quarterback makes some bad decisions and um, goes to jail for selling drugs or um, hmm. somebody wants freedom. And so them and their girlfriend go on like a motorbike trip and they get out of town and that kind of stuff. So um, yeah. it's very... I don't know. Like, I, I I could see this being like a collection of short stories in a book, and it would be kind of the same experience. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, the the music itself isn't super. Uh, Im- mm, importance the wrong word. Um, how to put this? I don't know. Like, like the song crafting isn't um, incredibly uh, in depth or um, out there. You know, it's like two three chords yeah. an acoustic guitar and the singer um and so in that kind of regard it like it took a little bit to to keep my attention if you don't listen to the stories themselves but other than that that's kind of yeah. what this this guy is known for um, lyric is kind of king i suppose in that world yeah so i guess to that degree i'm somewhat kind of meh on this 
project. Like it's, um, it's interesting as a concept, but to keep listening to it over and over again, um, it doesn't offer a super amount in terms of musicality. So I'm kind of, I kind of zone yeah. out. <laughs> it really has to be, I'm thinking of early Dylan, like you mentioned Dylan, like some of, I got a box set, I know, shoot me, of, you know, <laughs> Dylan stuff. And the first disc is all just acoustic guitar and voice. Yeah. But he does manage to be really engaging with all of his songs. And sometimes it's just a combination of melody and the lyrics, you know, um, that can can draw you in and help it to not feel too samey. Um, yeah. But, I mean, it, it takes a lot of work to be a writer like that. It really does. And I think... Um now that we're talking about even Bob Dylan does a better hmm. job of diversifying the kind of music he puts behind these songs as well. Um, hmm. Like he has more blues inspired ones or more folk inspired ones. It changes up a lot, at least when you get to the kind of late sixties. Um, hmm. Yeah. So like I, I dug around and tried to find versions of these songs where like the band played them. Cause it's usually a whole band, the mountain goats. And yeah, I don't know, that kind of sounded wrong. Like, it didn't work, uh, which mm. I found was kind of interesting. Um, so I guess this is a very particular way to encapsulate these stories. And I guess it kind of works. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, um, I, I say give it a try. It's not a super yeah. long or super intense album. You could probably breeze through it pretty easily. Um, but this definitely, like, propelled them to a lot of people's attention uh, when this album came out um, in the 2000s, I think. Um, it's cool yeah yeah no i will check it out because i do i do love stories and songs um and again with people like harrison lemke i'm 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 drawn in by really interesting stories about people and Mm. so um yeah i'll definitely check that out i um yeah and it sounds cool with the lo-fi sort of approach yeah i think that's a fitting thing i guess at the end of it i'm still kind of lukewarm with the mountain goats so maybe i'll keep sure. giving them a try i don't know got it have you talked about them before because i feel like you have um i've talked a little bit about one of the albums they released last year at an okay. honorable mention um but they yep. i don't know they usually release like an album like maybe every year and a half so i can't really keep track of it wow yeah, yeah, I'm looking now and it's just like... It's a lot. There's a crazy amount of stuff here. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of why I was like, what's the most famous one I can go to? Yeah, they've got a new one out too. Yeah. Bleed Out. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Noted. That's me. Sweet. All right. Well, shall we move into on uh, homework? Yes. Not homework. Skipping homework. So as we talked about earlier, um, mm. I gave Asher the Pink Floyd album Dark Side of the Moon. Um, this is potentially the most famous album we have reviewed and could ever review. I don't. It's kind of up for debate. <laughs> um, this album holds the record for um, most amount of weeks on the on the top 100 Billboard, um, popping wow. in and out over decades for a total of 962 weeks so far. Um, which is uh, crazy. So there's debate amongst the music heads, which uh, is the best or most experimental Pink Floyd album. 
Um, I'm a wish you were here man myself, but this is easily mm. the most iconic of their um, of their records. Um, yeah, you know, you see the <laughs> the 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 album cover and instantly recognizable. Um, yeah. In the in the week that I've been doing research on this, I've found you know a bluegrass version, a, like a punk version, a metal like all these people have covered this stuff. Um, yeah, so it's quite iconic in its uh, in its nature. Um, I think it has some ups and downs, but I'm interested to see what you think of this early '70s record, Asher. Yeah, the interesting thing is like I. You know how we're really influenced by what our parents listen to? Yeah. And and when we become adults, we have to kind of do a bit of work to catch up on areas that we didn't know. For <laughs> instance, like Dylan, I had to intentionally go, all right, I'm going to listen to Dylan. Yeah, sure. Or I had to intentionally listen to so-and-so. Like my parents enjoyed some Dylan and some other artists, but, you know, you have to kind of fill in the gaps with things and pink floyd just was not even on their radar i'm yeah. pretty sure and so i know very little apart from the fact they're british they've written you know i know some of their songs because being a bass player you know you're going to play money at some yeah, point exactly so like you and definitely you definitely heard money before yeah and you've you know you've played um uh the song wish you were here on guitar because people want to learn it and so you have to learn parts <laughs> from that and so I feel like I, I know piecemeal stuff about them. I know that they're kind of like 70s and a bit proggy. But apart from that, like, I feel like I'm coming in blind. Okay, I'll, I'll give and you a bit, a bit more information if you want, then, if you want. Sure. Yeah, um, please. So this was, I think, their, like their fourth or their fifth record. Either way, they their um, long-term lead singer uh, quit the band uh, bef- during the making of this record. Um, I did read that. Actually. So it's, this, yeah. is, this is kind of the start of a new stage of work for them. After like, you get the wall and mm. which we hear and that kind of stuff. And um, they increasingly tried to be more and more experimental. Um, mm. Like, like this is, this album was recorded over like a, a two session period at Abbey road. Like it was. Yeah. Um, that's not much. To be yeah. That's, that's not much. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I guess the thing for me is, um, like, I'm really struggling to separate what who I am now and the era I'm in yeah. from what this would have been like. Because to me, after listening to Black Midi for the past few weeks, like, this seems pretty tame. Yes. And so experimental being the word, I'm like, cool, it's got some nice synths in it, like... Some pretty chill drums, you know. It's not overly like aggressive. It's not harsh. It's not particularly like it's not like the kind of stuff your parents would frown upon you for listening to, sort of thing. <laughs> but maybe at the time, you know, I feel like I'm a bit of a noob when it comes to some music history. I'm like, was this really shocking? Because to me, it's like it's really beautiful. Like breathe in is a gorgeous track, but it's so relaxed. Like the drums are basically jazz drums sometimes, mm. Mm. and it's really interesting how many different um, kind of genres are chucked in here as well, but not in a crazy like way. You know, um, money's like super groovy, breathe and us and them and any color you like, kind of like 
big vast sort of things like lots of ride cymbal and like back in the back drums and and then you've got things like um on the run which go really really synthy with these arpeggios <laughs> and those are the things i actually like the most i think okay i like it when i hear a good mix of different instruments and like i'm not really sold on just kind of like um you know like electric guitar with lots of like wow and, <laughs> and just like two chords just going back and forth what was the one some of them are just very simple you know like um yeah uh where is it um uh, where oh i don't know yeah just it was some of the songs kind of very repetitive going from like the the minor one chord to the major four back to the minor one major four and it's cool but it goes on for quite a long time and and it feels like there are very few song songs on this Mm. and there's a lot of like in between bits and i get the vibe that like you said there's two halves to the vinyl and that there are songs that run into each other so basically is it the first three songs are the same piece uh Mm. yeah it's kind of the first the the two halves are like continuous um run-on pieces but definitely the first the first three are much more thematically close to each other for sure yeah, and I like I like the running on to each other. I thought, um, it, it, so I think the thing is, it surprises me that this was such a big deal. Yeah, like as I listen to it, I'm like, it's cool, it's really groovy. There's some good songs on here. It's got some nice tones, like, but it doesn't strike me as like a platinum, like amazing, one of the best selling albums of all time kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, like. It's probably my tastes. It's probably just me because when I think of things like In an Aeroplane Over the Sea, I'm like, that for me is like one of the most iconic albums, you know, and there's reasons why I think it's iconic. But it's, you know, what was it about this album at this time that really captured people's attention? Yeah. And and even songs like The Great Gig in the Sky, like I've heard about this before, this song, but I didn't feel like there was much to hang on to. It's like... <laughs> A woman wailing over a song for four and a half minutes. And cool. Like, great concepts. 155 million plays. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of those ad-libbed uh, vocal parts yeah. either, to, to be completely yeah, it's honest. Just, I mean, like, I would prefer the the squid version of this, you know, with the end of narrator kind of a bit more wild. Like I'm not really into the kind of um, those kinds of vocals, but that's just again I'm trying to separate it from me and my tastes and thinking about yeah that. W- what are your favorite tracks on this? Like, oh. and what grabs you about this album? If, I, if you like this one, yes, it's as I said, it's not my favorite Pink Floyd record. I um, people have often compared this to um, OK Computer in terms of like turning points in musical history, okay. at least British musical history. Um, yeah. It's kind of a, a marquee for a lot of people of like, Oh, like this can be done and it can be listenable. So this is like 1973. Yeah. I think this record came out, um, which is like yep. before, like, you know, stairway to heaven even. Um, so having mm. these like long form songs 
you know, after like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones are kind of um, quite remarkable for people, I think, for a lot of the time. And um, interestingly, it, the harmonies sound very Beatles. Yeah. Still. Yeah. yeah the, but the instrumentation is very not. The the vocal harmonies. Yeah. I can. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I very much feel that as like a whole kind of, like I wouldn't be put upon to really break this up into more than one song, even like I can listen to it in that kind of regard and enjoy mm. it in that way. Um, I, I think the low point for me is the great gig in the sky as well, to be honest. But um, yeah. I like, I don't listen to this record very often. It's like every, every like, like 11 months, my brain would be like, you should listen to dark side of the moon. And then I'll listen to it like mm, 15 times in two days. I'm like, yeah, okay. That's pretty, that's pretty good. I get it again. And then it'll like disappear from my brain. Um, yeah. I, I have it on vinyl. That's kind of the way, I, that's kind of a fun way to do it as well. Um, yeah. I mean, that makes so much sense in terms yeah. of the way it's constructed and the concept of the album. I mean, I don't know if they're actually taking into a, like they've been inspired by the moon, but you know, it's a cool, it's a cool way of dividing the album. Yeah. And I think the, I don't know. I enjoy the themes that it talks about as well. Like it, they're hard to pick out sometimes, but like this idea of like greed and conflict are pretty heavy throughout the album. And then yeah, the back definitely. half has a lot to do with mental illness because of their uh, former band member quitting. Um, and, and also like kind of mortality, I think yeah. with time and things. Yeah. So I, th- yeah. I think those are pretty bold for early seventies. Um, mm. um, like, uh, what's the name of that um instrumental album you gave me with the caveman in the back half of it again? <laughs> tubular bells. When did tubular bells come out? Like seventy six. I need to check. Um, this is like, this, this isn't the first prog rock album. Like, there's other bands like you know, yes. 73 and, and crimson same king year. yeah like so like bands are doing stuff at the same time um but i think this is the most like kind of symphonic um appealing one that a lot of people grasped onto um oh it's much more accessible yeah because when synths started being used right they're very hard to use in a way that's like digestible by the public yeah but, you know on the run is a beautiful follow-on from the previous two songs and it makes a lot of sense to have these instruments in there. And they've put them in there in such a natural way. It didn't feel forced like, oh, we must use this piece of tech. Um, they did use some really interesting pieces of music technology in this album. I was reading up on Wiki last night. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, but they did it in a good way. And there's always like historical stories of them like trying to be more experimental. Like they like wanted to make an album by like only banging objects together. And you're like, well, that's a, like a stupid idea. Like that doesn't like, and it kind of, it overlaps with this kind of more well put together symphonic record. And you're like, I don't really, these things don't really mesh that well. Like it's, I guess yeah. it's experimental, but it's not super experimental. There are, there are more like the wall oh, yeah. is a much more out there project um, than Dark Side of the Moon. Um, anyways, I, Yeah. How to put this? It's, I, um, sorry. Yeah. Th- no. 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 It's um. It's really interesting because I was trying to think about the kinds of music I put on regularly to listen to, mm. and 
songs like Money are awesome, right? They're fun to play. Most of these songs would be really, really fun to play. Like they're great jam songs. They go on for ages. There's solos. There's kind of like cool vocal parts. There seems to be a division in my mind about the songs I play and the songs I listen to. And these are not songs that I would put on a lot to listen yeah. to. Like it's Money a, is a great song, but I don't know if I just put it on for fun. It's a particular vibe. Like you got to like sit in your room with like your 70s like vinyl collection and then like your infrared lights, your indigo lights and kind of like zone out while you listen to it for sure. Yeah. At least yeah. That's, that's what I would do. <laughs> yeah. Interestingly, you know how you were talking about um, films and Pink Floyd? Um, yes. I remember hearing that, you know, Dune, the movie and the book and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Do, did you ever hear about Jodorowsky's Dune or Jodorowsky's? Yes. <laughs> so he wanted Pink Floyd to do the soundtrack for that. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because he was getting, like, all sorts of people involved. I think he had Mick Jagger um, cast as... Oh, he had a whole, he would a whole bunch of musicals. He had Sting and David Bowie in the movie, too. No, no, no. That is Lynch. So in Do- David Lynch's movie, Sting is... David, Lynch. David Lynch's Sting. Uh, Jodorowsky had Bowie, I think, as well. Oh, yeah, actually. Yes. He had Salvador Dali, Orson Welles, in- Mick Jagger. Yeah. <laughs> Man, yeah, I watched that documentary and and heard about Pink Floyd. I'm like, oh man, that would have been a crazy, crazy film. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, maybe we'll, maybe one day we'll get to their other albums. I think this particular hmm. record kind of taps in to like that male teenage oeuvre of the early '70s that like Zeppelin hmm. Four also captures a year later. Yes, um, yeah, that, that kind of stuff. Anyways. Hmm. It was cool because I hear so many other artists. Uh, I hear Pink Floyd in so many other other artists now. Like, yeah. I sent you a band I like to listen to called Sun God, and they sounded a lot like this. I was actually listening to us and them and going, man, Jim Guthrie's really got his vocal sound from this album. Mm. Like, and so I can really see their print upon a lot of other artists. Um and once again, I'm such a, a chronological snob, and I think I prefer <laughs> the later iterations. <laughs> oh That's right. Um, I'm just telling people what you gave me. Yes, yeah. Um, so I gave Josh something a little bit different. Um, mm. This is the soundtrack to the film Akira. Now, Akira. Akira was the first big anime that hit US Western markets. Um, it was not the first anime I saw. I think I saw Polko Rosso as my first. Yeah. Um, or it's Lupin a different vibe. 3. Yeah, or Lupin <laughs> 3, the Count of Cagliostro. Um, I, but I, got, I watched Akira um, later on, and, and it's kind of stuck with me, as it has probably with a lot of people. Um, it's quite an interesting story, even though the movie is a truncated version of the manga. <laughs> <laughs> I no, that's you don't really need like the movie is quite good by itself. The music is something which stood out to me, and I wanted to talk about it with you because I find it a fascinating album, or like a fascinating soundtrack that's very traditional for such a futuristic movie. Yeah. Um, like 
it just is a very interesting choice of uh, composing for a movie that's set in the future and about science fiction concepts. So tell me what you thought of the Akira OST. It's quite big and quite vast. (laughs) I guess we're talking uh, classics this episode. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this like this is probably like the one of the most culturally important like films Japan has ever made, um, mm. and uh, doing some research, I read that the soundtrack was made before the movie was drawn. So wow, um, okay, it's it's kind of going off the script alone, which is kind of incredible. Um, yeah, so. Um, I actually watched the film again last night because um, I haven't watched it in a little while. Um, and it's it's kind of hard to explain how well these two things go together. Like often, mm. like when a soundtrack and a movie sync up, they complement each other. Um, this kind of goes a step farther than that where the themes of the movie are even expanded by the soundtrack alone in some ways. Um, Hmm. How do you mean? Yeah. So um, there's a lot of common themes and motifs um, in the, in the music. And um, often when a character, like one of the main characters, Tetsuo um, goes from being this kind of um, regular dude in this post-apocalyptic world that sucks and um, gradually loses control over his life and the powers that are like consuming him as he kind of becomes this monster. The, Mm. the song itself transitions from um, like the more traditional, like weird read percussion that they're doing um, Mm. becomes more and more chaotic as the song goes along. Um, I did notice that too. Yeah. So it's kind of the it's really clever. I I um weirdly I don't think it's actually a a lot of music for how long the movie is. The movie is like two and a half hours long, and um the songs are quite often reused or parts of them are reused. And I don't mm. think even um whole portions of some of the songs are even used at all in the movie. Um but still they kind of fit. So um, this album is kind of composed of like elements of taiko traditional taiko drumming, Japanese drumming. Mm. Um, you have like um, traditional Japanese opera kind of performances. Um, a lot of monk chants, which I think are from Thailand or something like that. They're not from Japan. Um, mm. There's a lot of uh, traditional instrumentation, like lots of like reeds and um, like it's weird like- kind of percussion. It feels like a like bamboo marimba kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, like the opening like is um, you can obviously pitched, but it doesn't sound like a marimba. Yeah, but it must be something else. I didn't actually look into the exact names. I'm sorry. That's and then and then um, all this stuff is kind of smushed together um, through like a post-apocalyptic world filter to make mm. it more industrial sounding. Like there's like clangs and bangs and yeah um boom, that kind of stuff in the background boom, boom. um so like, so like you said it kind of manages to give you this vibe of like like traditional japan like it feels japanese um mm. but it also kind of gives you that vibe of you know this is neo tokyo 
It's like mm. um, the urban claustrophobia that you experience being as part of this land um, and like the kind of chaos and corruption that is um, a big theme of this movie as like, you know, characters try and welcome in the return of Akira and like the end of the world through like mm. weird chanting or mm. um, try to like control what's happening to them and things can get a, um, so I, yeah, um, it's weird. I, it's not like, it's not like a particularly wonderfully enjoyable album to listen to. I mean, it's fascinating and mm. the music is very interesting and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I guess, it, I guess cause I know the film and how well it complements it. I find it more, um, more of an experience. Maybe I'll put yeah. it that way. Yeah. Um, Cause some of the tracks are quite frankly, quite off putting like the, um, and halfway through you get the more kind of weird, yeah like the like the children nightmare the songs yeah the, the dolls, dolls polyphony yeah and the and the monk chants after that are like really um intense and weird on purpose um i remember finding of... that dream sequence pretty freaky um and i found the music particularly unnerving because it's this it's voices doing weird sounds yeah. And it just felt very, it was supposed to be childlike, but disturbing childlike. And it was amazing how, you know, so I should just mention like who the composer <laughs> is. Like, I'm not going to pronounce this name correctly. Do Genyo it. Yamashirogumi, um, who's done a fantastic job of trying to convey what's happening on screen, but like you say, extend it as well. Like, I don't think this film would have been as big without the music because that opening Canada piece and the the light, the, the motorbike, you know, ride through the city right at the start is probably one of the most iconic manga film scenes. Oh, and yeah. the bike so slide good. has been redone in just about every <laughs> animated series since. Like, you know, there... I watched just the opening again last night. I didn't have a chance to watch the whole movie. I watched it's it long recently-ish. But um, the opening part is just, it's seared in my mind with the beautiful animation and lights and then this beautiful choir. There are some, like you say, ugly parts on this soundtrack, but there are also some really gorgeous parts that are very harmonically yeah. beautiful and stare at, like as opposed to a Western ear, very harmonically pleasing. The, the the ugly parts often come with ugly parts in the film. Like, you know, yeah. the riots yeah. and the police are like shooting innocent people. And that's when yeah. kind of like this like discordant chaos comes in. And it's really interesting. Like, you know how you talk about um, the, the uh, actually, I don't know if you mentioned it, but like, I find the scale of this movie quite daunting. Everything is big. Mm. And, like all the, you know, Tetsuo becomes enormous and like these explosions feel so big in the face of very small humans um and the music in requiem which is the final piece is this like massive organ kind of thing as the as the city's kind of obliterated again yeah and it it's just very fitting and very it's a bit scary in this kind of judgment idea i suppose um yeah uh, yeah yeah I, I- Honestly, I was surprised upon rewatching. I'd forgotten how much silence is in the movie. Um, mm, 
Yeah. There's a lot of scenes, like a couple in space or mm. near the end where like the the like the explosion is happening and like a new like alternate dimension is being created and it's completely silent. Um, yeah. And it's it's a it's a huge disruption from what you expect when watching the film because there's always noise happening in this movie because they're living in a huge city and these songs are happening uh, everything's yeah. moving and shaking and um, yeah yeah the i was gonna say definitely the opening three songs together the mm. um the canada the clown fight and then neo tokyo yeah. or what's it called like skies over neo tokyo um I think so. those people those pieces together especially the third one in my opinion are are so beautiful i think they work mm. so well together yeah, and the clowns one with the breathing is so effective. <laughs> <laughs> but it it really harkens back. They did a really good job of, I suppose, tapping into Japanese culture and musical traditions, whilst representing it in a really interesting new way. I mean, mm. I'm not a qualified ethnomusicologist, so I don't always know what I'm talking about. But I can at least tell that these are more ethnic sounds used in a very modern way. Mm. Yeah, it's and, um, a yeah, it's cool. It's uh, thank you for giving it to me. It's a fascinating soundtrack, and I'm I'm glad to have another excuse to watch Akira again because it's obviously a awesome movie. Yeah, um, it's it's um it it's an interesting world. It's sad, but it's also very fascinating. Um, I suppose like everything, it's a diet. You know, every piece of art is a digestion of your current situation, and and I'm sure there's links to Hiroshima and thinking about all those kinds of things tied into it. Um, I should do more research into it, but yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I want to watch it again soon, but uh, just the opening was enough for me at the moment. <laughs> it's damn clowns, man. Oh man. But you know, I am, oh no, uh, don't worry. I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> if you ever All read right. it, you know. Okay. Um, so shall we move into honorable mentions? Sure. Sure. Something connected to Akira was that I remember that C418, um, our resident Minecraft music writer, mm. did a cover of Canada with, uh, well, like kind of a remix of that song. It's not as good, but it's quite clever. And it got me listening to some of his other works again. And mm. I just wanted to kind of put a pin in the fact that Excursions is a fantastic album, as well as Deef. Both, both of those are favorite passive listening times, although there are some very active pieces on excursions. So, yeah, recommend. <laughs> um, after talking about um, Hakata and Heaven Piercer, um, <laughs> he's just released the Ultra Kill Act 2 soundtrack, which I've been enjoying. Um, just wanted to say, check that out if you enjoy Breakcore. Um, and kind of almost classical-esque, uh, Baroque-esque metal music, then go for it. <laughs> um, the last few tracks on that are pretty amazing. Um, I feel like that album is becoming a bit of a megalovania sort of thing. People keep using um, certain things in memes, and I think it's becoming a, a bit of a cultural thing, at least okay. in the circles I'm in. <laughs> um, you might remember... Um, me talking about swans uh yes yeah i didn't actually get into this properly i've tried for like the third time to get into swans i don't know what it is with them 
there is some interesting stuff. I'll chuck one of the tracks on there. Have you ever yeah. listened to Swans? I've given them a shot. People I know love them, and mm. I don't quite see it. I'll be honest. Yeah, I'm. I don't quite see it either yet. I'm not sure what it is. When I was at the Godspeed You gig a few years ago, people were wearing Swans T-shirts and said you should listen to Swans and. It just hasn't gelled with me. I don't know if it's like the fact I can't nail down the genre, like it keeps changing from album to album. Um, but yeah, I'll get there one day maybe. So <laughs> I'll just put a, I'll put a track from the Seer on there because that's what I was listening to. Um, yeah. Interestingly, as I mentioned before, Hakata does a lot of recommendations of albums and he said this is the best album of all time, obviously being a bit facetious. Um, I listened to it and yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I couldn't stop listening to Lewis Cole, that song, um, again and again and again, even more so than last time. (laughs) Not Tight is also pretty good. Oh, no, sorry. No, that's, um, that's the other. Not Tight is by, um, Dommy Keys. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, I'm Tight is. Yeah. Anyway, very cool bass lines. And you're probably going to cover this, but... What did you think of Weird Goodbyes? I don't know what that is. That's the new National song. Oh, well, that shows you how much I've listened to it. Um, I don't know, man. I'm not on the Bon Iver train. Um, Everybody's posted about it, man. you got to be in on the game. <laughs> I, I don't know. It just makes me like go back and listen to their older stuff, to be honest. Whenever I listen to a new National song, it's kind of meh. Um, yeah. I. I wouldn't be able to tell you the difference between this and a Big Red Machine song. I'll say that about it. Yeah, it didn't stand out to me much either, but it was kind of cool to think that there's maybe some national songs in the works. Yeah, they have an album in the works. And they've said that it sounds a lot like their whole discography rather than um, their latest stuff. So that gives me hope for maybe cool. something interesting to happen. Um, yeah. I just wish that whenever Justin Vernon would like help on a project he would do something different. Like he wouldn't just be himself. Um, I know that's like an insane person thing to ask of somebody. Um, Is it like Nick Cage always acting Nick Cage in every movie he's in or something? Like a, like a little bit, a, maybe a little less unhinged than that. But whenever like Bon Iver like helps with a song, I know it's just going to sound kind of the same. Um, you know, it's a it's Taylor Swift or the national. It's still just a Bon Iver song. Well, maybe isn't an that extra why person people there. get them on though? Like, isn't that what they do? They just like, <laughs> I want a bit of a dash of Boniver on this. That's so boring. <laughs> <laughs> Hot take here. Boniver uh, is boring. <laughs> yeah, new Boniver is boring. Yeah. Anyways, I'm, I'm just putting words in your mouth. Sorry, man. I'm done. That's... You go. You go. <laughs> um okay um getting the silly end of things so i've been uh going through um an album by brett mckenzie of oh yeah yeah flight of the concords fame um he released an album called songs without jokes um and i've been quite enjoying it i didn't expect to enjoy it this much actually it's very much uh like dad rock like 70s pop um like I hear elements of like a little bit of crowded house, a lot of Paul McCartney, um, with a little bit of um uh what's his name? It's a jungle out there. Um 
uh, short people, uh, Randy Newman. Oh, a little, Randy little, Newman. A little bit of Randy <laughs> Newman um, mixed in there. Um, so it's quite, yeah, uh, the, the first half is quite uh, fun and jaunty. Uh, once you get past the middle, it's actually quite endearing. It's quite an uh, emotional album, surprisingly, on the back half of it. Um, That's cool. So I've been enjoying that. And as part of that, I also have been listening to um, a Flight of the Concords live album. Um, oh, nice. I, I had forgotten that they released this in like 2018. It's a, it's a live special they recorded in London. And um, I have seen them uh, in concert a couple times. And they have a number of recordings of songs that they've only kind of played since after the television show has ended. And this is kind of the, the, mm. the versions of them you can find. And so, um, I don't know. They're, they're still quite funny and they work well together. And these new songs are just as silly as ever kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Not for small is ears. Is doing any music stuff? Uh, he's not doing music stuff. He's, uh, a producer on a number of television shows. Um, what we do in the shadows. Yeah. So what we do in the shadows, uh, there's one called Wellington paranormal, um, oh, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is like a cop show investigating stuff. And then there's another pirate one with Taika okay. and restart with it's come out. Um, yeah, I think it's like our flag is black or something like that. I can't remember. Um, okay. What we do in this, what we do in the shadows is incredibly funny though. Jermaine isn't in it. I think he's like a writer and producer of it. And along mm. with, um, Taika. Um, I've only seen so, the movie. Yes, the TV show is also very funny. Yeah. They're both funny. I um, I quite enjoyed the movie, even though it didn't really go anywhere. It was just it had some yeah. good moments. Um, <laughs> you, flatmate, do, do you know the uh, the actor Matthew Berry? Um, uh, he, he's yeah. in like uh, the IT crowd. Uh, he's like the boss in the IT crowd. That kind of like oh yeah, yeah the goatee yeah. and the the voice that talks like this all the time. Um, such a douche. He's he's so funny, and he's obviously in what we do in the shadows, and he's such a funny character. Anyways, yeah. Oh, and I digress from our regular scheduled program. Um, Isn't he also in? Um, is he in um, Garth Morangi's? Yes, he's in Garth Morangi's. Yeah, <laughs> Egads, he's <Yeah>. dead. <laughs> I've only seen like one episode of Garth Morangi's Dark Place, and it is crazy. It's, it's so, so funny. Oh man! But if anyone hasn't watched, so unhinged. Everyone, everyone wants a a, a weird early two thousands television show. Watch Darth Marenghi's, uh Dark Place. It's a spoof of yep. Stephen King spoofing yep. a hospital drama television show, and yep. it's insane because it's the actors um, <laughs> acting as themselves doing a. Um, a uh, a documentary of making this fake TV show, um, and it's just pure insanity. Anyways, the quote I think the best thing. Well, no, I it's a great show, but I love that quote of about you know I know writers who use sub uh, subtext and they're all cowards. And they're all cowards. <laughs> it's just like it's the best quote because it applies so much to so much media. So so many times to so much media. Yeah. I'm going to um, pretend my audience is completely dumb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I've been listening to another album by a band called The Sacred Souls. Um, okay. So these are a um, old school R&B group uh, making music now. 
And so they use a lot of like classic techniques to make it sound like the seventies and they do a really nice. good job. Um, yeah. So they just put out an album like a week ago, which is uh, quite smooth. I'll say mm. that. Um, and then lastly, the, uh, the one and only Kenny beats has released an album. Um, yes. It's on my so, list. Yes. Anyone who doesn't know Kenny beats is a fairly uh, legendary producer at this point of a lot of, um, well, I guess he spans genres now. He does a number of hip hop mm. rap albums. Um, he produced the last last couple of Idols albums. Um, so he's kind of got a lot of hands on a lot of productions. Um, and so I didn't know he was working in this, but he put out his own record, and it's a it's a beat mix, obviously, because that's kind of what he does. Um, and it's really good. I I was expecting to enjoy it. I was not expecting it to be this level of quality. It um, it kind of fills the same vein in my brain as uh, Nujibes. We talked a long time ago about oh, this nice. kind of yeah. um, the cl- the classic Japanese king of lo-fi hip hop and jazz hip hop. So Kenny is less in the jazz territory. He's more kind of in the modern kind of um, breakbeat and hip hop kind of production. But it fills mm. a similar kind of spiritual place in my brain um so i've been really enjoying that it's not super intensive listening um but it's really enjoyable so kenny beats well, louise been really good yeah ever since you put me on to kenny beats and i remember when i was learning about the op1 i watched like a live stream he did where he was just writing a beat from scratch using yeah. sounds from that and i was like josh where can i get like his stuff and he's like oh, he hasn't actually done his own stuff. And every time I like watch videos of him making beats and songs, I'm like, I just really like this kind of thing. So yeah. I've, I've had it on the sidelines just waiting to come in because I'm really interested, but I, my head was full of other stuff. I, re- so, I really enjoy Kenny as both a performer and as a person. Um, I think he's a, I think he's a funny guy. Um, yeah. I believe he did a lot of jazz guitar as part of his music degree. Um, okay. His like his like music business degree, so he kind of mm. knows how to put a song together outside of just making a beat, and he kind of applies that knowledge really well, I think, to how to kind of do stuff together. Um, yeah, and you can yeah, kind totally. of get a taste of that here. Yeah. Um, nice. Anyways, that's all of my honorable mentions at the time. Nice. Ooh. Well, um, one one little bit of news, listeners. Um, yes. We'll be taking a little bit of a break for the next little while. Um, uh, the Greg Morrison household will become from three to four very soon. Uh, and so um, I am going to be busy for a bit, um, but we'll probably be back <laughs> by our Christmas special, which you can all look forward to. Um, and there's hopefully a lot of content for you to enjoy in the meantime. Um, if you haven't listened to the previous interviews or you just kind of started halfway through with this podcast, then Maybe now's the time to go back and catch up on some previous episodes uh, when we were less skilled at this. Um, <laughs> and we are totally really skilled now, so you'll totally notice, notice the difference. Um, but yes, in all seriousness, we'll just be on a little bit of a break for the next couple of months and expect us back around the time that the Ice Queen is unfrozen. Um, I think just as closing, listen to, you know, check us out on all the socials and, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Was What's that a Mariah Carey reference? <laughs> it was a Mariah Carey reference. Okay, okay. <laughs> the so ice queen cometh. 
Remember? She's like frozen in ice and she's oh. going to come out very soon. Yeah. <laughs> what was that animation? You stay away from my family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which. Um, anyway, sorry. Uh, check us out on socials. Uh, give us ratings on wherever you like. It can be a bad rating. That's helpful feedback for us. <laughs> um, I don't know. You know. I'm not controlling what you write, so go for it. And thank you so much for, as, as always, sending us stuff. Um, I, you know, I really appreciate that. And any recommendations are good. I'm going to be listening to music anyway. I'm just not going to have the time to talk about it or do <laughs> metadata for podcasts. So anyway, <laughs> send me stuff. I'll keep it in the back catalogue. Good to chat with you, Josh. And yeah, man. I'll, we'll keep texting. I'll see you around. <laughs> See you next time. See you.